Hello and welcome to the final episode of the Meet the Expert season on the Talking Locks with Lockitude podcast. I am your host, Adi Balogun. Now, this episode was meant to be published in November of 2021. I apologize, but I went on a small adventure and left my laptop on the plane. It's taken a few months to get it back and I'm happy to have retrieved the master recording. And now I'm happy to wrap up this season and take the podcast to the next level. In this episode, we'll be speaking to Dr. Shakira Gold Olufadi, a dermatologist, physician, and a genitourinary medicine specialist practicing at the University College Hospital in Ibadan, one of the oldest tertiary hospitals in Nigeria. She is also a health advocate on social media. She gives us an in-depth medical view of dermatology as it relates to hair and helps us determine when it is necessary to seek medical care with regards to issues that we may face with our hair and scalp. She also gives us a broad perspective on common issues one may face with their hair and how to handle them. Well, without further ado, let's hear the doctor talk. Hi Shakira, welcome to the Meet the Expert series of the Talking Locks with Lockseed podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you on. It's good to be here, Ade. Nice to, nice to be here with you today. All right, thanks. Can you quickly please tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice so that we can get into the juice of the conversation? Okay, so my name is Shakira Gold Olufadi. I'm a dermatologist and a physician in Nigeria and a genitourinary medicine specialist. So this just refers to somebody that takes care of diseases of the skin, the scalp, the hair, the nails, and um, sexually transmitted infections. And also someone that takes care of um, diseases that are related to um, the, the adult body, okay? That's what a physician is. And again, I presently work at the University College Hospital in Ibadan, which is um, one of the oldest hospitals in Nigeria, tertiary hospitals in Nigeria. Awesome. awesome. And presently, okay, yeah, go on. presently um, I do a lot of, same with um, what Ade is doing, I do a lot of um, health advocacy, talking about the skin, the scalp, on all my social media platforms which is one of the um, CSR that I do, kind of. That's awesome. I'm really happy to speak to you today because um, when people think about hair, it's usually in isolation and it's always from a stylistic point of view. Um, in my experience so far as a loctician for about six years plus now, I've noticed that the hair, when your hair starts to thin or when you start to see issues in your hair, it's usually an indication that something is wrong from the inside. And um, on previous episodes um, in this series, we've talked to a trichologist, we've talked to a psychologist, we've talked to a nutritionist, and we've made all these connections. So um, I think the best way to start this question is, what exactly is the difference between a dermatologist and a trichologist? Okay, so um, for a dermatologist, like I told you, mm -hmm. a, a dermatologist will treat the skin, the hair, the scalp, um, and all the disorders that are associated with it. A trichologist, on the other hand, takes care of just the hair and scalp disorders. Okay. Most times, 
Okay, for you to be a dermatologist, so let me just say that a lot of times the dermatologist performs the dual function of being a dermatologist and when it's time to treat the hair, also um, a trichologist mm -hmm. because the training includes the um, treatment of diseases of the scalp and the hair. Mm -hmm. And most times, the trichologists um, actually focus more on the hair itself. Mm -hmm. So, and for a dermatologist in anywhere in the world, you have to be a doctor to be a dermatologist. You must be a doctor, and then you would have gone through postgraduate training to be a dermatologist. On the other hand, it is not all trichologists that are doctors. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, a trichologist can be a doctor, but most times... They are not. Okay. So, in essence, what I'm trying to say is that the trichologist limits to the hair and the scalp, and they would have gotten training to be able to do this. Okay? So, anything that has to do with hair, um, the scalp issues, that's what a trichologist does. While a dermatologist goes into the skin, the nails, the hair, the scalp, so the scope is wider, and the dermatologist always has to be a doctor. Okay. Fantastic. Now, when it comes to the hair, okay, so I'm happy that you're a lockhead yourself. How many years has it been now? Whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> um, it's been 20, 2018, yeah, so that's three years now. Three, three years plus, because I started March 2018. Wow, um, time really goes by so <laughs> fast. I remember when your locks were like really tiny and you were always anxious and like, you know, worried and taking pictures as well, which I always tell people to do, like take pictures so that when your hair finally grows, you can see the difference. Um, you, you know the thing? The thing was, so I think it was just more fighting someone to rant to because <laughs> I, knew, I knew the process and I wasn't surprised that it would, it would take the regular time for my hair to just catch up and all that. But, you know, that stage... Um, of having those tiny things on my scalp, I just, I just didn't like it. <laughs> so I wanted to rant to you then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so awesome. Um, the reason why I brought up brought up your hair is because. Oftentimes, when people decide to lock their hair, they believe that they have changed what is going on with their hair. So, therefore, the normal things don't apply. You oftentimes hear things like, oh, when your hair is locked, don't wash your hair. Um, don't use conditioner. Um, you know. So, my question is, locking your hair, does that make it different in any way from a scientific point of view with regards to the hair and the scalp and the skin. So let me put it this way. And I, I, I was telling someone recently, your hair is still your hair. Whether it is in locks or whether it is, um, whether you leave it um, out there or whether you put it in cornrows, your hair is still your hair. The only thing is that normally, you know, the hair on the scalp, if you actually counted them, on the average, we usually have about 100,000 hairs. That's a lot, you know, on the scalp. So normally, it is part of the normal phase of hair growth. Normally, your hair should shed. About 50 to 100 hairs, you lose them every day, every single day. And you increase the number when you comb your hair the wrong way, you keep combing your hair really dry. Um, you increase the number when you keep doing some funny hairstyles or when you keep pulling your hair. And so for dreadlocks, you realize that we don't comb our hair. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason why it seems like, oh, your hair is growing so fast. All those 50 to 100 hairs that should be lost every day, we're not losing them. Right. So 
that's what it's been, you know, incorporated into the dreadlocks. And at the end of the day, so whether it's been lost or not, it is still your hair. And so there's no reason to say, oh, when you have locks, it's not your hair or it takes care, it's different from, no. The only thing is that, of course, maybe the way you care for it, the kind of products you may use or something, will prop and even at that, if you don't have um, some diseases of the scalp or the hair, mm -hmm. you really, because when I first started locks, there, there was nothing I did not hear. You know, you, you can't put this on your, you can't put condition exactly that one. You can't put conditioner on your scalp. You can't, um, maybe in the early stage, of course, that may apply because you want your locks to set in and all that. But the kind of myths that people associate, associate with um, dreadlocks, there are a lot of myths out there that are not really correct. So your hair is still your hair, whether it's in locks or whether it's um, all, all combed out or in cornrows. There's right. really no difference. The major difference is the amount of hair you're supposed to be losing, which is not being lost. Okay, fantastic. Um, now, I would say we've established what the role of a dermatologist is when it comes to hair and scalp issues. And most times, many people don't even think about it. You know, many people will always come to a stylist first when they start to see issues with their hair. They, they don't it's difficult to make the connects because when you think about dermatologists as a Nigerian on the average, you're thinking about your face. Apart from your face, you're not thinking about anything else. So it's interesting to know that a dermatologist um, is an expertise to seek when you have issues with your scalp. Now, I want to speak about some of the general issues that people normally have and um, when we should actually sort out a a dermatologist let's start with the issue of dry scalp um most people have like dry itchy scalp that's usually the basic um complaints that you have so my question is from a medical point of view when you have dry itchy scalp what's the best way to treat and what is your body trying to tell you is this a reaction to something that's going on inside or is it just topical and just maybe put some oil on it and you'll be fine. So it depends on the degree of dryness. So if you just have dryness, so most times, and, and that's why even in Nigeria, at the Nigerian Association of Dermatologists, we are trying to do something where you mentioned something now that when you have um, scalp issues, hair issues, most people present to the hairstylist first. Mm -hmm. And that's because a lot of them, in the whole of Nigeria, we still have less than 250 dermatologists. No way. So it's natural. Yeah. In a country of close to 200, 200 million. million people. Yeah. So we still have less than 300 dermatologists. In fact, and that's, that's me stretching it. And by dermatologists, I mean people that have completed their training, com that have completed their residency training. So when you have dry, itchy scalp, that's that's um, that can happen to anyone, especially when you are not when you are not um, taking care of your hair the way you're supposed to take care of it. You are allowing, and you know, on the contrary, a lot of people what they do is that they keep on putting piling a lot of products on their hair, keep on piling mm -hmm. things on their hair, and in that process, they it starts to get a lot of debris, a lot of dirt in their hair. And after that time, this debris can become sticky on the scalp and it becomes flaky. Mm -hmm. But that's different from somebody that is not piling products on the hair. So 
when we're talking about dry scalp, we can we can talk about it in terms of just you have a generally dry scalp, which will do which what you need to do at that time is just you know oil your scalp. There are a lot of essential oils mixed in some other oils that you can use. Okay, a lot of air, you know, some of those um um and what one thing that is important that a lot of people fail to realize is that moisture is very good for the hair. Mm-hmm. So water with some of those oils, you spray them on your hair, your scalp, and you are fine. For a lot of people, they are doing, they are, they are fine with that. But when you now have dry scalp, we you have some adherent scales that is that is you know usually very itchy and it's always flaking all over the place. Then it may be a sign of you know something that is just more than the ordinary dry scalp. A good example is something we call seborrheic dermatitis. Seborrheic dermatitis is what we refer generally refer to as um, the layman calls dandruff. So a dry scalp is different from dandruff. So if you have a dry scalp, may not exactly does not necessarily mean. So okay, let me put it this way: dandruff can cause a dry scalp, but not all dry scalp is it's due dandruff. to dandruff. Right. Yeah. So if you have just a dry scalp and when you oil it, everything is fine. That's not likely because dandruff tends to run a more chronic course. So if you notice that you're not, you know, you're not taking care of your hair, you're not oiling it the way you're supposed to, then when once you do that and everything resolves, it's not, it's not likely just, it's not likely dandruff. It's more of just a dry scalp, which your hairstylist is, you are fine with that. Even for dandruff, some mm-hmm. of the hairstylists, some of them have, you know, undergone a bit of some training. And so for just straightforward dandruff, they can help you with that, with some of the products to to, to, to tell you to use. Yeah. And for any time you have dry, and when it is seborrheic dermatitis, like that's the dandruff of the scalp. There are some certain shampoos that are tailored towards that. And if you have dry scalp, um, if you have seborrheic dermatitis, yeah, you are that clients that you need to wash your hair a bit more frequently than the person that does not have seborrheic dermatitis because you need to leave some of the products in there for some time for it to act then you can wash it off and condition your scalp afterwards so for the dry scalp seborrheic dermatitis that is just mild your hairstylist may be able to take care of that without having to see the dermatologist right okay um you know so the other thing i think the other part of my question which i'd like you to touch on is what's happening inside the body as well. Because in my experience, sometimes, you know, you yeah. see a client and you kind of have suggested to people to eat their vegetables and drink water and they usually just have um, some improvements in what they are experiencing. Would you say that there's a big connection or should these issues just be treated from a topical um, point of view? That's a good question. So so depending, so for dry scalp, mm-hmm. usually there's really nothing from inside. It's just the way you're caring for your scalp. Right. Then, you know, people have different types of skin, oily mm-hmm. skin, dry skin, same with the scalp too. Oily scalp, dry scalp, that kind of thing. So the care of the scalp will be different. But when you start to have someone with dry scalp, scaly adherence um, 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 patches on the scalp that when you peel them off, you start to see some bleeding. Mm. When you start to have patients with hair loss accompanying all these things, and hair loss are different. So hair loss, you maybe just some of the hair is falling off. Or hair loss that is all the way to the scalp, you can see that there's a visible you know, chunk of hair that has left some center of the scalp or the center of the scalp or other areas on the scalp. Okay, so there are some conditions that they are associated with, um, you know, a bit of some 
some um, most of the causes of hair loss, um, most of the causes of hair loss, most of them, when you have hair loss, especially when they are those patchy types, mm -hmm. you would have the cause not exactly being known, but it will be a combination of some genetic factors, most mm -hmm. of the time some genetic factors, and some environmental factors, and some immunological disturbance mm -hmm. in that particular patient. And again, you mentioned some deficiencies. One thing that is common is that a lot of people just, they take drugs, do all these things, and you rightly said it that you, you tell some clients eat some certain foods and they get better mm -hmm. because you realize that even our diet a lot of people are not eating balanced diet to ensure that they are getting enough for their hair so to answer your question there are some certain scalp disorders that when you see that you will know that there's something a bit more than what is going on the, on the scalp so a good example is something I mentioned the other time. I mentioned psoriasis. Okay, I, I'm not sure whether I mentioned it, but psoriasis. Mm -hmm. So if you have somebody that you are thinking has dandruff of the scalp, well, you notice that those scalp, those scales, they are adherent. And when you try to peel them off, you notice some pinpoint bleeding. This patient might not, might just have psoriasis. And this kind of patient has more than just something going on on the scalp. There, there are some immunological disturbances that are going on. So this kind of patient will need to see a dermatologist. Right. Okay, so it's not all, you know, or not all hair loss that is just based on the hair alone. Mm -hmm. But to answer your question again, a lot mm -hmm. of time you see hair loss, although there are some immunological disturbances taking place, but it is still limited to the hair. Right. Okay. So, for example, let me give you another example. Let's talk about something we call alopecia areata. Alopecia areata refers to the, it's, it's a form of hair loss. Generally, the cause is thought to be something we call autoimmune. When you hear the word autoimmune in medicine, it means that the body is kind of not recognizing its own self properly and it's fighting against itself or fighting against some components of that part where the issue is. So in alopecia areata, it's an autoimmune hair loss kind of that is happening in that condition. And there are different types. So the classic alopecia areata, you have the patient just, you know, the patient just comes with this bald patch, no irritation, nothing, just this bald patch on the scalp. And it's just on the hair alone. Sometimes you might have it going to the eyebrows. Sometimes you might have it, even all the hair on the body can disappear. Right. Okay. So it depends on the kind of presentation that will let you know that, oh, this patient is more than just the hair. That yes. is happening to this patient. Right. Thanks a lot. You brought up something in the conversation, which was where I was leading this thing to um, medication. I think if there's anything the average Nigerian knows how to do is self-medicate. I grew up in a house whereby, you know, everybody is a doctor by medication. You know, I, I have headache. Take this. Mix that. Do this. Do that. And I think what's become um, quite popular these days is that biotin is touted as a supplement that you should use to grow your hair and get luscious hair. You go to the pharmacies and you see all sorts of supplements that you know suggest that they would give you nice hair, strong nails, luscious skin. Are these things um, generally applicable for to everyone? And is there even any advantage into medicating? Are these supplements that you can just take daily that would help your hair thrive and grow? So let me put it this way. Like you, like you said, it, that everyone is a doctor in Nigeria. <laughs> oh, you have this problem, take this. Oh, you have that, take this. And one problem with us in Nigeria, again, is that if you've not given these patients drugs, they, they think that you have not done anything. 
Mm. Even when you explain that, oh, you don't need to use this, you don't, it's not necessary. So to answer the question, hair supplements generally, there's really, so, so, so you know, I am a, I'm a researcher. And so I will speak in the scientific terms. There's really no um, substantial evidence now to tell you that, oh, these um, vitamins are, are essential for people that have no vitamin deficiency. Right. So one of the most popular ones, ones um, biotin, like you mentioned, biotin is also called um, vitamin B7. Okay. And biotin has been touted for, you know, use this. Use, I, I've had several patients that have been on these drugs and they go, they go for the high-end ones, the expensive ones, and they can't, they, they're not eating properly and they are taking biotin. And, you know, when they've taken it for a few months, they now finally seek out the dermatologist. And I'm like, okay, you've taken it for about six months. Have you, to be honest with yourself, have you noticed any major difference? And they're like, um, no, Dr. Gold, I don't think so. So biotin is one of those vitamins. It's actually um, a water-soluble vitamin. It's one of those vitamins that deficiency of biotin is very, very rare. It's not common at all, except in you know, states like somebody is malnourished. And for you to be malnourished, that means you are probably, you know, you are homeless. You are not, you know, you're not, you're not eating anything. You're not eating balanced diet and all that. But if you are eating properly, you are eating balanced diet because biotin it's present in a whole range of foods, vegetables, in grains, in nuts. A lot of nuts have biotin. Fish, seafood, you have biotin in the, in, in those in those foods that I mentioned. So if you are eating properly, a balanced diet, you are very unlikely to be biotin deficient. And what that means is that you actually don't need to supplement biotin. Right. If you are supplementing it, so, and the average amount of biotin you need in a day is about 30 micrograms to 50 micrograms. And your diet takes care of that perfectly. Interesting. So, most of the vitamins that have been prescribed. But the thing is, luckily, there are no, most of the studies that have shown that, because there are a few studies. If you go on the internet now, you see a lot of articles that I've tried to, and because for research, you want to answer a question. You give the patient this, and after some time, you, you look at the degree of hair growth and all that. So there are some studies that have been done, and but they are not... We classify, we categorize studies in medicine based on the level of evidence. So the level of evidence, very, very low. And because there are more of case series, case reports, where you just pull in few patients, and you just give them the drugs for some time. And most of these studies have not proven that... Um, taking biotin or any of these vitamins would help people that have no vitamin deficiency. Right. So it's a different if you have a vitamin deficiency. Another good one I should mention is zinc, for example. So if you have zinc deficiency and you, your, your zinc levels are measured, you have zinc deficiency, of course, zinc would help if you have hair, grow, uh, hair loss um, 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 due to zinc deficiency. If you have biotin, de biotin deficiency, very rare. Okay, so to answer the question, not necessary, but a lot of patients will use it. And luckily, there are really no major side effects. effects yet. Okay. Okay, that, so that's good to know. Them, what did you say? I said that's good to know. I said that's good to know. Yes. At least we're not hurting ourselves by yeah. self-medicating on this particular supplement. But, but, but the thing is, you know, for drugs, generally, you know, if the side effect profile of something is low, the studies that would have been carried out on it, they will not be as much as those things that have a high side effect profile. Right. So what that means is that 
nobody really knows how long you need to take it for before those sides before some side effects start to come up so what i advise patients is that if it's really not necessary if you don't have any deficiency don't take it but for the patient that you know i know that they would even even if you don't prescribe they would you know you can tell from the patients when you are discussing with them so one one thing one reason why i don't worry myself much is that a lot of them they stop it after some time on their own <laughs> because after buying all the supplements for uh, months and they really don't see any appreciable difference they just stop yeah. and the good thing is a lot of these vitamins too um they are present in food but if someone is not getting enough from food there's nothing you know you can supplement your diet if you're not getting enough from food but typically we recommend that you know you try to get everything you need from a balanced diet rather than taking it you know as drugs right i think food food is the ultimate supplement <laughs> I, I tell you the ultimate supplement and let's not say food let's say healthy balanced healthy, diet balanced because diet. the kind of food that people take you realize that you can't get what they need from the food because they don't they don't eat healthy you know but if you have a healthy balance take a lot of fruits vegetables take some healthy nuts almonds and all that you yeah and you know i think we're all guilty because yeah i'm telling my patients to take all this healthy healthy food, fruits vegetables and i have to remind myself that you've not taken your fruits you've not done this you know so i totally understand sometimes in our busy schedule and all that we forget to you know to eat healthy it's a conscious decision you have to take every time every single time right okay um this is an expert conversation so i'm actually kind of battling with my head you know i'm saying oh should i ask some of these questions it's too technical but i guess that's the point of this series um how does somebody differentiate from an hormonal imbalance because you've kind of educated us that most of the time, if you are eating right and doing the right things, taking care of yourself, washing your hair, doing what you should do, you should be fine. And when you even have issues, if you correct it on that base level, you are okay. But a big problem that I tend to see is things like um, postpartum alopecia, which basically means after you, hair loss after you've had a baby. And nobody actually really ever talks about all the hair you grow when you are pregnant because most people grow a lot of hair when they're pregnant. Um, but you find out that there's a lot of hair loss um, after the pregnancy. A lot of stylists, you know, talk about this a lot because we get to see it and you get to explain to your clients, oh, have you just had a baby? This is what might be happening. Is that due to an hormonal imbalance? And at one, what point should it be indicative to both a hairstylist and an individual to go and check their hormones and what's the best way to go about it do you just go for a blood test or should you actually actively seek out a dermatologist okay so let's let's take it this way um so you know some of those hormones in brand the typical history is that you have your patient come to you and say oh when i was pregnant my hair was so lush so full and after i gave birth everything just started to fall off so some of the hormones, they, some of the hormones of pregnancy, they build up. So you can have your hair growing better while you're pregnant. So when you talk about postpartum hair loss, mm -hmm. it actually falls under a type of hair loss that we call telogen effluvium. Okay? Mm -hmm. Don't worry, I'm going to break it down. <laughs> <laughs> so in a normal healthy person's scalp, you have different types of, um, um, there are different phases of hair growth. So we have what we call the telogen phase, the anagen phase and the catagen. 
So the telogen phase of the hair cycle, that is the period, that is the period of your hair where the hair enters something we call a resting period. And when it enters this resting period, you have some hairs that we call the club hairs that will just, and after some time, the hair will fall off. The anagen phase, anagen, mm-hmm. anagen is the period of growth of the hair. And this anagen phase is the longest, in fact, almost all your hair, about 80 to 85% of the hair is usually in the anagen phase. So anagen phase is the one, where, that's the phase where your hair is actively growing from the roots. And it's about two to seven years. So it keeps, you know, and this phase, they grow into each other. Some hairs are in anagen, some hairs are in telogen, some hairs are in catagen. Catagen is the third phase. And this phase, the hair just stops growing and it detaches itself. And it, that's when it becomes that club hair that I mentioned. Right. So in telogen effluvium that I mentioned earlier, pregnancy falls under telogen effluvium. And telogen effluvium just refers to a stage where you have excessive shedding of the hairs that are resting. And after some kind of stress to the system. Mm-hmm. So re- remember that pregnancy is considered a stressful state. So a lot of hairs can just go into telogen after pregnancy, okay? So what happens then is that you notice that when they deliver, the hairs just start to fall off, mm-hmm. okay? And it is not it is not uncommon, mm-hmm. and it would resolve on its own because there's no drug treatment or anything that you're supposed to give for telogen effluvium. The most important thing is to re- and that's why I'm happy that the internet is such a massive place for information. There are lots and lots of information that you can get on the internet. So, you know what I do for my patients? One thing is that for patients, when they know that, oh, I'm not alone in this thing that I'm experiencing, I think it makes it better for them. So, I give them some sites. So, go on this site, go on um, go on the internet. You'll see that this thing is not, it's not like um, you are alone in this thing that you're suffering. And after a few months, it's going to resolve. So it's a it's more of a lot of psychological talking to the patient. So it's not about hormonal imbalance. It's about the stressful event that has happened to the body, and the, the hair just goes into that phase right. where where it just stops, you know, growing. Okay. So and those hair will now shed off. Okay, those yeah. hairs will shed off, and there are so many things that can cause telogen effluvium. So you have somebody that has been sick for some time, has been admitted in the hospital for a long time, you know. That person can go, the hair can go, you can have telogen effluvium. Somebody goes through a surgery, a surgery that is very stressful on the system. Mm-hmm. Even psychological stress. And that's why you have some mental illnesses. Like, you know, somebody that has anxiety, neurosis, somebody that has um, depression, they can have telogen effluvium. Mm-hmm. Okay? Some medications, okay? Um, remember I told you that um, some hormones, you know, they, are, they help hair growth. Mm-hmm. So, like when you're pregnant, when the hair is just getting full and all that, when you are using the oral contraceptive pill, when you suddenly just stop, you can, you can have telogen effluvium, okay? Yeah. So, these are things that when they happen, and you, would, you will not have patches of hair loss. You will just like, you see that the density of the hair, everything reduces. just reduces. So, and the hair, you just, so more than, the, you know, normally I say you lose about 50 to 100 hairs in a day. You just see that you are losing way more than that. And it's quite bothersome because it can be really, it can be really um, bothersome for a lot of people. Yeah. Okay. So it's important to reassure the patients. It's important to, you know, to talk to them psychologically because there really is no treatment per se. It's just to wait it out and for the hair to return back to its usual cycle of growth. 
that that is actually okay. very very useful information um so yeah. so far so good i feel like um in my own experience when you have a client that presents or you know just come to do your hair the first thing is to understand what your routine is so that if there are bad practices we can eliminate them so that your hair can do better so i talk to my clients a lot personally to like find out okay have you just had a baby so are we dealing with some postpartum hair loss you know and one of the cases that presented to me a while back which was very interesting was that this lady came and she was experiencing patches of hair loss on her head i had never seen anything like that before so i still try to understand you know from a stylist point of view what might be going on so that i know the best way to help her so you know i ask questions like you know um is this hereditary have you always had this type of patches on your head you know and we kept on going around in circles and everything she was telling me about her hair care practice seemed normal until she disclosed to me that she had been kidnapped um some weeks before and she was held for two weeks and to be honest with me it was after that episode she started to experience this hair loss in that sort of a case so at that point i was just like okay i think you should see a doctor i'm not even sure which of the doctors you should see now but something is going on inside you and um you know you need to kind of figure that out because this is not topical this is not you know, I can't um, rub uh, peppermint oil on your head and massage it, and I, I think it will ha- help. You need to see somebody. So in her particular case, what would you yeah. see is think is going on, and who exactly would you think would be able to help that's in that sort of issue? But the funny thing is that you actually just answered the question yourself. Okay. What you described that happened to this lady is classic telogen effluvium. Right. So she went through a stressful event, okay, mm-hmm. and from there she did she had telogen effluvium if i'm sure if you see that patient months later the only problem with that is that you know um the kidnap itself she could go through a post-traumatic stress um, disorder from there have some anxiety issues so that telogen effluvium may actually run for a longer time than it should mm. Do you understand? So she has two things that will be causing the stress for her. The fact that she was kidnapped and probably they were not that that's a stressful event on its own Right. Then, the anxiety and the psychological issues that can follow that kind of event. So, from there, telogen effluvium. So, that, what you just described, she actually had, had telogen effluvium. So, of course, you could have given her all the peppermint oil, all the whatever to massage into her scalp. And, you know, the thing about, I tell people, okay, let me give you an example. When I'm treating my patients, whatever the condition that they have. So, if a patient comes to me now and tells me, oh, let me go to one of the most common skin conditions that brings patients to my clinic. I've got acne. Oh, Dr. Gold. Um, so I recommend a regimen for the patient. And she tells me that, oh, I forgot to mention, Dr. Gold, when I take um, when I take um, granite or when mm-hmm. I take peanuts, mm-hmm. my acne becomes worse. Even though in the studies, there are conflicting studies. Some will tell you that, okay, same with biotin. Diet is not really... Um, a major contributory factor for acne, except for some particular foods. So sugar, diet high in um, um, refined sugars and all that, those ones can be implicated. But things like nuts, oil, they are not, studies have not substantiated that yet. But if a patient comes to me and categorically tells me, Dr. Gold, when I take bread, my acne becomes worse. 
you know what I tell myself? The psyche has a lot in a lot of conditions. <laughs> and I just tell the patient, oh, bread makes it worse. Oh, then we found something to, 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 to look at. So please reduce the bread that you take. And tell, tell you something. These patients, by the time they come back, they'll tell me, oh, I feel better. Perfectly, I feel better. I feel this. You know, as long as it's nothing that would harm my patients. So a patient tells me, for example, when I drink warm water, uh, I, my skin glows. I know warm water is not going to harm her. So, and I know that warm water is not really doing anything to the skin for it to glow. But the patient feels that that makes her skin glow. And so, you know, you know that, that thing of, um, if, why are you trying to fix what is not broken? So if it is not broken, I don't try to fix it. So I leave the patient with her warm water and I leave her to take it. So for you, that kind of patient, despite the fact that you tell her that, oh, um, this thing is something that is self-limiting, it's going to get better, you will still give her some oils oh, that you know that help. Do you understand yeah, that help? Yeah, yeah. You give her these things because if you don't give her anything, you yeah. you, you would not have fed her. And yeah. you would, she would think that, oh, nothing has been done. And I tell you, those products that you probably give her would make her feel that, oh, I think I'm getting something. The anxiety reduces, and the telogen of flavium re resolves faster. This is so what I would very interesting. Have, <laughs> yeah, you have any patient like that that has, you know, something that you suspect that is due to stress. Don't leave them alone and say, oh, you don't need anything. It's just due to stress. It will no. Give them, especially if you are in, you are talking to a Nigerian patient. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you have to give them something. And I, I you know I can speak like this because I'm, I'm being okay. Like, for example, when I have my children come up with some skin things and I know that it's going to resolve quickly, I don't I don't bother myself. I know it's self-limiting. Well, if a patient is coming to my clinic, no matter what you tell them, they won't believe you. So I'll recommend some soap for them, some some pH, you know, I'll recommend the good basic skin care for them. So they will know that, oh, Dr. Gold has given me a skin care. And even though I know that thing is self-limiting, they will come back in two weeks and tell me that Dr. Go everything resolved immediately. Exactly. Mm. So you need to work on the psyche of your patient too when you are treating them. I like that you're referring to my client as patients. I'm now a, a hair doctor, hair stylist <laughs> doctor. <laughs> okay, yes, so um, since we are yeah. talking to a dermatologist, I'm just going to use the opportunity and ask this question, even though it's very hair-related but very face-related. We do get some clients that tell you things like... Um, Please style my hair all up or off my face because when my hair touches my face, I end up developing acne and all of these things. Is there a is is it really possible that someone's hair, someone's face can react to their own hair? Okay, so let me put it this way: um, acne is a combination of different factors. So um, um, you have something we call um, increase, so, and there are different types of acne. But the prototypical acne is the adolescent acne. And so what you have there is that you have, um, there's, the, there's the spot, the androgen spot, the androgen that goes up in adolescence. And androgen is implicated in acne. Then you have um, excess, so something we call hyperconification. The, the topmost layer of the skin is called the cornea, called stratum corneum. So it's like it's shedding. And when it's shedding, it's plugging into the follicles. So anytime, anywhere you have a sebaceous, so, so acne is a chronic disorder of the, a chronic inflammatory disorder of the sebaceous, of the pilosebaceous unit, of the sebaceous unit. You know, the sebaceous gland is that gland that produces oil on the skin. Yeah. And that's why I you don't see acne in children. It's really not common in children because the sebaceous gland in children, it doesn't become active until puberty. 
And so when this, and that's why you notice that children, they all have the same kind of face, not oily, everything just looks smooth and all that. But by the time you get to adolescence, you have the um, oil being produced. So there's a place of genetic factors. It's not everybody that has sebum on the skin that will develop acne. So there's a place of genetic factors implicated in acne. There's a place of sebum production. And this sebum, this excess, this excess sebum, with, along with the, uh, the skin, that corneal layer, the conification, hyperconification that I mentioned, they plug the follicles. And when they plug the follicles, the androgen production to the increased androgen production, there's chronic inflammation within this follicle. And, you know, there's this thing we say in Yoruba that when something pushes you down, when something small pushes you down, or when something, when something big pushes you down, other smaller things will come and mm. come and build a house in that place. So when your follicle, when it's all congested like that, there's a particular organ is called cutie bacterium acne. It tends to thrive within that environment. And so it, it also contributes to the chronic inflammation that is occurring within the follicle. So again, like I mentioned that there are different types of acne. There's one we call comedogenic acne. Mm -hmm. So if you have a lot of products in your hair and your hair is touching your face, when, when those products, and especially if you're somebody that has acne-prone skin, when those products are getting on your face, that's forming like some sort of debris, and you're plugging your follicles further. Yeah. And that's why you would see us tell our patient, don't apply, you know, some patients would think that until I apply all the hair cream on the front of my scalp and all that, that that's, that's when I've applied, you know, that's when I've oiled my scalp. As much as possible, you don't want all that oil in front of your face. Another thing, again, is that especially for people that are breaking out actively, the hair itself can irritate the follicles. Mm. So it's a, most of the time, especially when it is synthetic air, you can have those ends irritating the follicle. So, so when you are breaking out actively, I advise my patients to have your hair, you know, back, not irritating your follicles. You don't want to, because there's also something called mechanical acne. Mm. So it's called acne mechanica. So with friction, you can have irritation of that follicle and you can have acne, acne-like acne lesions coming up. So it's best that when you have a patient that is genetically predisposed to having acne or a patient that has a lot of acne on the face, you leave the hair away from the face. Right. It's best to do it. But one problem, when, when you are leaving the hair away from the face, another thing that people do wrongly is that they tend to pack their hair so tightly. Mm. And that's a lot of traction occurring on the scalp. So you are, you're not going in the process, in a bit to take the hair away from the face. I tell the patients, don't make it so tight. Where you now start to have traction alopecia or traction hair loss. All right. Okay. Thank you so much for the insights on that. Believe it or not, we've already been talking for over 14 minutes. And I no would, way. Yes, we have. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would like to bring up a topic that... Um, I would accept from the beginning of this, bringing this up, that I do have a bias, but I want to know purely just from a medical point of view what we might be doing to ourselves. You know, I am on Instagram quite a lot because, you know, the business right now, basically your business is run, run by social media. And I tend to see that the new wave with the wigs is to glue it onto your, 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 your head. You know, I don't have this personal experience. I probably know that you don't. But from a doctor's point of view, is there any, are there really safe products? And, and I bring this up. I think I brought it up in a previous um, episode. But I bring it up partly because 
Um, we do get clients that want to lock their hair are not comfortable with how the locks look in the early stages, like we said earlier, and are looking to see if they can still wear their wigs. So this is not trying to knock people who wear wigs and weaves, but this is basically saying, okay, people with locks still want to do these things. Is it safe for you to glue this frontals um, to your head? Is that something we should worry about? Are those products really safe? The, the whole idea of it for me looks terrifying, but what do I know? I've been locked for 12 years now. So do you have any opinion on, on that, especially from a medical point of view? I don't even think we need to go medical. Anything where you are doing something, I need to start pulling it off. <laughs> Cannot be, you know. And that's why I see that a lot of these products, they tell you that this is very mild. And one one thing a lot of people do wrongly again is that, you know, some of these weaves and um, Yoruba addict, there's one Yoruba addict that says, which means that the more money you have, the better the kind of products that you are able to get. Okay, so some of these wigs, they come with the glue that comes with them, very, you know, very light, very, but still, it can still catch on your scalp. And when it catches on your scalp, pull your hairs out. And so that's form of, you're creating an iatrogenic, iatrogenic means something that you're causing for yourself. So mm -hmm. at the end of the day, when it comes to the wig wearers, the people that are using glues, I think for them, they've accepted it that, okay, if I perish, I perish. How did they say it in Nigeria? <laughs> I lose my hair, I lose my hair. I cannot be seen going about with, um, um, I don't want this um, uh, natural hairstyles on my hair. And like you said, to each his own. You know, so what I tell my patients, that you, I tell them that, see, you would, if you keep on, and I, I have a lot of them in the clinic, after putting all this glue on their head, and I even saw one on Instagram, put glue on the head and the whole scalp just went out. Mm. You know, so it, it, it actually it causes a form of iatrogenic alopecia. When you and you know a lot of people i've seen people that in years they've not left their hair alone it's just those blue they keep putting it there and keep you know the more the frontal you know and to be honest i don't really understand a lot of those terms but the the they've never they've not they've not they've not left their own hair in years so a lot of them and remember one thing again with hair genetics play a huge role in the in the kind of hair that you have mm -hmm. so for example let me use myself as an example in my family, genetically, we don't really have full hair. We're just, you know, just normal hair. But you would meet some people that in their family, they are used to, they, 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 are, they have luscious, thick hair. You understand? Mm -hmm. So for those kind of people, even when they are gluing, gluing the hair and all that, even when they lose hair, it's not so obvious. But if you are the kind of person that naturally your genetic makeup, you don't really have your hair, is, you know, maybe instead of 100,000, you have 20,000. But that's just being funny. But naturally, you don't have. Hello, Ade, are you yeah, still there? Yeah, yeah, I'm listening. Okay. Mm -hmm. But naturally, your your genetics, you, you you don't really have a lot of hair. Then that means that with the glue and all that, you you tend to even lose hair more. So to answer your question, no, re, not not recommended to be gluing your hair and all. That. And especially when you have gotten so used to it and and it gets to a point where i you know you know i i don't know if i mentioned this that when we are dealing with scalp disorders for a dermatologist we talk about scarring hair loss non-scarring hair loss when you hear the word scar that means that a fibro something we call fibrous tissue that means a scar has replaced the place where the follicle is 
Right. And if you if you take a look at your skin right now, Adi, you see that you have like tiny holes on your skin, especially where the hair is coming out from. Mm -hmm. That's the follicle. That's where hair comes out from. A, a hair, hair erupts from that follicle. And your hair comes out from that follicle. If you have any disease process that causes that follicle to become scarred, hair is unlikely going to grow back from that follicle on its own again. Right. So that, when we are managing patients, we talk about scarring alopecia, non-scarring. From what I've explained, you see that patients that have non-scarring alopecia, they have a better prognosis than people with scarring, scarring alopecia. Because the hair might never grow there back. Are different types. What did you say? I said the hair might never grow back with the scarring one. Yes. Yes. And, they're, they're, and it now depends on when the patient presents. So, for example, a patient with a scarring type of hair loss. Let me give you an example of a scarring type of hair loss. There's a condition we call discoid lupus erythematosus, DLE for short. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm sure you've heard of systemic lupus. You've heard of yeah, lupus I've before. Heard of lupus. So, there's a type of lupus that oftentimes it's localized, might be on the scalp, might be on the face, might be on the ears. So, that's discoid lupus for you. So, if the patient presents early in the disease, it's easy to manage. So it's just like the popular saying of a stitch in time saves nine. So if the patient presents early, it's the management is it's it's better. It's better. The outcome is better. But by the time the patient presents, when the and which is the typical way most patients in Nigeria present, they would have gone everywhere but to the doctor's place, mm -hmm. and they would have used everything but something recommended by the doctor. And in the process of even using things, they would have used corrosives on their scalp. And the further scarring the follicle. And so by the time they are coming, everything is all scarred up. So to answer the question of the glue, initially when you start to use it, maybe you're losing your hair, a form of non-scarring hair loss. If you're not careful, there was a lady I saw on Instagram, you would cause a type of scarring hair loss for yourself, especially if you're using those glues that are really strong. So mm -hmm. it's really not recommended, but you know, for a lot of people that wear wigs, there's nothing you they will tell you that this is the way I want to, you know, leave my hair. And a lot of them also put up they put this band on their hair that constricts the whole scalp, almost like they are not allowing the scalp to breathe the the blood flow to the scalp itself. And the wig is so tight and all that. But I think at the end of the day, most patients would or most people will do what they really want to do with their scalp. Mm -hmm. Ours is to educate and to enlighten people when it comes to the hair and the scalp. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. We have gone full circle with this conversation. I've enjoyed where it's gone. You have used a lot of technical terms, talogene, anagene, catogene, you know. But did I try to break it down? I oh, no, you did. You did. I'm just a lot more intelligent person right now. You know, I've just done a crash <laughs> course in hair dermatology. So Jeez, it's... I did a diploma already. <laughs> yes. Yes, I've just had a diploma myself. And, um, you know, time is fast spent. I know I'm going to have to let you go because you're very busy. But before I let you go, I would like to talk to you about some of the things that are happening for you personally. I do know that you are um, publishing a book very soon that's about to launch. Can you tell us a little bit about that so that our listeners can know where to find you and wow, find the you. book when it comes out? <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. So, um Apart from being, I think one way um, a lot of doctors, we tend to, especially in Nigeria, we tend to live confining lives. We're not, we're not living wholesomely. So um, apart from being a, a dermatologist, I also enjoy writing a lot. And I think it's, it it's one of my innate gifts. I, 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 a lot of people tell me I write quite well. And I've been writing for 
close to six, seven years on social media. And I have a website, I have a blog on that website and all that. So I thought to myself, this is, it's time to use your gifts, you know, to, to help. And one thing I'm seeing these days, I'm seeing that a lot of doctors, they are becoming disinterested. They are becoming, the passion is not there anymore. And it's not just doctors, a lot of young adults. And social media has not made it easy. I think especially social media that has to do with pictures. Now I'm talking about Instagram. Mm -hmm. You see a lot of things and you feel that, oh, I'm not doing well. I'm not at par with my colleagues and all that. And one thing I've realized is that living a wholesome life is about not just your career, it's just it's about managing your life totally holistically. So I wrote a book and the book is called Medithrive. Although the book says Medithrive, it's a book that I tailor towards young adults, adolescents, people that are just, you know, that are in their career trying to understand how to ensure that they are living wholesomely and how to ensure that they are making the best out of their lives. So it's not like I'm saying that I'm the best or I, I, I've, I've got my life all figured out. But when I did residency, I finished in 2018, that's three years ago. So I'm one of those people that you say everything was just, I did my medical school, my residency house job, I never had any break. Mm -hmm. So I did it in record time and I still had time to do a little, a little bit of other things, which like, like I'm doing right now. Mm -hmm. So I, I felt that, Writing, they say experience is the best teacher, but really you don't have to experience something before you talk about it. Yes. So I went to my colleagues, a lot of them that I know that they are thriving, not just in their career, but generally living a wholesome life. So the book is divided into like 10 chapters in the parts, the first part of it into different rules, you know, talking about how you need to know yourself, how you need to be emotionally intelligent, how you need to build your social capital, how you need to, you know, if you have, if you're a versatile person, how you need to harness your strengths, how you need to, you know, um, um, associate with the right people to ensure that you are living a wholesome life. And the second part of the book is divided into eight or nine chapters where the contributors in the book, the other doctors that I mentioned, right. they wrote chapters in the book. So it's a book that, honestly, I, I, you know, when you say, you look at yourself and say, Shaki, you've done a good thing. You know, mm -hmm. so I feel very good with myself. So um, right now I'm doing pre-orders for my book okay. and um, it's on all my social media platforms, you get a link to, you know, to go to the website to order the book, to pre-order the book while, for I'm doing pre-orders for people in Nigeria. The book will be on Amazon by end of um, before the end of next month so my social media handles are um, at skin and all on all social media handles at skin and all underscore at skin and all on facebook instagram twitter i have a page on facebook my website is www.skinandall.com and i also have personal pages shakirat gold shakirat gold olufadi on instagram and facebook so so that I don't spend all time talking about my book. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so, so much. I'm actually quite sad I have to go because my diploma, my crash diploma course is ending. And I feel like <laughs> <laughs> if I had you for like two more months, you know, maybe I, this diploma would be authentic because right now it's just a exactly. crash, crash course. Um, but thank you so much. You're one of the people I've really enjoyed meeting in person. And I enjoyed thank starting you, your locks and seeing your hair grow and seeing your journey grow. And I remember yeah, specifically, yeah. I think maybe almost about a year after you got them done, you sent me a picture of your hair just done. And I sent you a picture of the first day or something. And you were like, ah, it has grown. <laughs> you know, so um, it's it's been um, a pleasure to have you on the podcast, like I said. 
and um, thank you so so much for making our time be rest assured i'm going to be reading your book and i'll be giving a review when i get to thank read you, it so, thank um, you so much. this has been interesting and i think first to just wrap it up a healthy balanced diet is the first place to start to be able to get your skin and hair healthy on the basics and if when in help and when in doubt seek seek out an expert seek, seek out a dermatologist don't try and put all sorts on your hair thank you shakira i got to let you go thank you Adi. yeah thank you so this much was, this was a good I, one. Really, I actually really enjoyed it <laughs> same yeah, here. i'm glad i did it same yeah here. all right thank you and have a lovely rest of the day you too Adi. Yeah. bye bye if you ask me a few things to remember though, a balanced diet goes a very long way to maintaining healthy hair and the brain contributes to how we may feel and perceive ourselves and also heal ourselves. Positivity helps. It's been a few months since we recorded this episode and Dr. Shakira Gold Olufadi is now a published author. Her book can be found on Amazon and on several of her social media handles at skin and all. It's spelled at S-K-I-N-A-N-D. A-L-L, Skin and All. The book is called Meditrive. I have ordered a copy and I'm looking forward to read it. This officially brings us to the last episode of the Meet the Experts season and I hope you have enjoyed it as much as Shakira and I did. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Talking Locks with Locksuit podcast. It has been such a pleasure being your host. My name again is Adi Balugun, and many thanks to our producer, E, the Mastermind. Please don't forget to follow us on social media. We are at Locitude, L-O-C-I-T-U-D-E, and you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Well, there are so many episodes and so many ideas that are going to be coming soon, and I hope you stick with us. I'm going to be asking questions like why? Why do we feel a certain way about our hair? How did we get to the point that we have gotten to and how locks have evolved over the last few years? These episodes are going to be interesting. I'm going to be telling stories of lock heroes and I'm going to have people on to also answer questions that we may have and just feel our perspective on things. It's going to be fun. So don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. We are currently on Apple, Google, Amazon, on music spotify stitcher and deezer podcast you can also find us on youtube and on our rss feed we are the talking locks with lockitude podcast well there you have it and don't forget to keep it locked with an attitude bye